Hey there folks, this is Rob Woods and welcome to episode 15 of the Fundraising Brightspots podcast. This is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, really enjoy their job and make a bigger difference. Now, if your job includes digital fundraising or you manage a digital fundraiser or you work in any kind of fundraising and you've switched on to the truth that most of those corporates or major donors or event participants or legacy donors or whoever you do work with, they're actually interacting with the world in a digital way every day, then I think you're going to find this episode really interesting. Because today I'm excited to share with you an interview I did recently with an absolute star of digital fundraising. Her name is Emily Casson and she's the Digital Marketing Manager at Cats Protection. When Emily moved into a digital role at the charity in the summer of 2016, annual digital income was around £250,000. The charity has achieved phenomenal growth since then, to the extent that digital income at the time of publishing this interview has grown to around £6 million. In the last couple of years, Emily and her team have won several awards, and in this, the first of two episodes, she shares her clear, powerful philosophy and approach to growth that is at the heart of all the stunning results they've been achieving. And then she offers advice for how you can implement these ideas in practice. The most important lesson I took from Emily was that their success is not about this particular cause, and it's not about the size of your charity or the budget that you have at your disposal. The principles that help a charity to do well in digital ring true whatever your cause and whether your charity is large or small. I really enjoyed this conversation with Emily and learned a great deal that can be applied to all kinds of fundraising. I hope you find it as helpful as I did. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by the Bright Spot Members Club. As a practical alternative to one-off conferences and courses whose impact can fade all too quickly, the Members Club is an online resource that gives you ongoing access to a whole library of video training courses, monthly coaching webinars and live training events. It's all designed to help you learn, enjoy your job and raise more money. To join the 300 fundraisers already in the club, or just to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Hello, Emily Casson. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. I've been looking to talk to you for a long time. One reason um, is you seem to be one of the busiest people in fundraising. Uh, so you're still the chair of the IOF Northeast Committee. Um, you sit on the IOF's Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Committee. And at the same time, you're still leading a team at, at Cats Protection. And there's been fabulous growth in the digital channel for some years now. Um, just in terms of your job title, help me get it right, your digital marketing manager at Cats Protection, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess, so, so before we get into the, the, the meat of this, which I want to be about some principles you tend to use to help grow uh, income through digital, I just want to observe, you like to stay busy, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I certainly don't like to be bored and kind of, I'm really interested, do a lot of volunteering, been a trustee in the past as well, but I am really passionate about the charity sector, um, particularly the charity sector in the Northeast and growing digital, and that seems to be an area there's a lot of interest in from charities. So I do as much as I can while also trying to sleep and stay safe. Yeah, well, I mean, you're clearly getting it right somehow, um, because at the same time as all of that, I have been aware for a while that Cats Protection has had this growth, and it's not just me becoming aware of it, 
Um, the secretary is aware of it as well, and um, I hope I don't make you blush here, but here are a couple of the, the things that come to my attention. Uh, 2018, you were in Fundraising Magazine's Top 25 Fundraisers Under 35. Um, uh, you won an award for Best Use of Data in Data Insight um, in Fundraising, um, and that was the IOF's Insight Awards. Um, I could go on. Oh, yeah, another one, 2019. Best Digital Leader at the Social CEO Awards. Um, I better stop there, but I wanted the listeners to be aware that you don't <laughs> pick up those kinds of things. And I'm sure you would modestly say, but a lot of it's about our team and hard work from everyone. But, but you don't get these kinds of awards without some things working really well. Um, and that is why I especially wanted to pick your brains, really, Broadly, could you give us a sense of some of the growth that has happened for cats protection across the last few years? Yeah, well, I used to be at cats protection in regional fundraising and started our digital fundraising and was our per first post in July 2016. And at that time, our baseline was about 250k a year, a few website donations, just giving appeals from digital. We're now looking more like six million a year from digital channels. Wow. So that's an astonishing level of growth. And so if you were to put into sort of a, a nutshell your philosophy or your broad, your broad brush strategy, what's your, what is your overarching approach? And then we can get into unpick the kind of the tactics and the details for how you implement that a little bit later. But yeah. what broadly is your approach? Well, we've got a team motto because I strongly believe all te cool teams should have a motto which is think big, start small, scale quickly, or fail fast. So we very much look at, right, think big, how can digital absolutely transform every area of fundraising? We're not just talking about individual giving here, we're talking about how we can use it in major donor fundraising and legacy and community fundraising. Start small, whether that's starting small on a new channel or whether that's another pilot on an existing channel. Scale quickly, we started with Facebook fundraising with 10k spend in 20 in july 2016 and now it's we spend multi-millions on it so we're not when we say scaling quickly we mean very very quickly we don't mean doubling we mean kind of absolutely fundamentally transforming it and then also not being afraid to fail but i always say that if you're not failing you're not innovating and you're not you're playing it safe whereas in digital you can't play it safe there's always something new so you have to weigh up the risks and do it very cleverly and start small and pilot but absolutely do not be afraid to try new things that might not work great so so already the, the several themes there that potentially i'd like to unpack but I, I sense it might be best to unpack as we go through and maybe work channel by channel as to what some of those things actually yeah. mean in practice i guess the other thing I just wanted to say is to call out the, the elephant in the room or the animal in the room. So, so just in case, I'm sure you've heard this question or something like it before, Emily, in case the listener is thinking, well, it would be easy for us to scale quickly in Facebook if our cause was, was cuddly and furry and was to do with cats too. You and I talked the other day and you gave me some some a strong sense that it's absolutely not about the, the cause there are some advantages to the nature of your animal cause and absolutely some disadvantages as well i want to get this out of the way so that the listener can can tune in to the, actually it's your principles and your approach that actually could a be applied irrespective of cause and b um i don't want the listener to think you know that this is all about scale and big budgets 
my sense is the principles are correct, irrespective of course, and also even if you're in a much smaller organisation, could you just speak to that potential uh, question mark? Yeah, well, I will say that, I mean, it is perhaps the internet. Many, many, many people have had that same conversation over the years, and I argue it's actually harder because the internet is full of cats, so why would you therefore donate if you can get all that content for free? And how do you make the charity content stand out against such a crowded market? So that is my answer to that one. I mean, it definitely benefits me having cute cuddly causes, but I've also been a trustee of a couple of charities, very small Northeast charities, one in international development, one in healthcare, and it is the principles that are the same. There, when I'm working, you were talking budgets of 50, 100 quid starting out doing kind of Facebook advertising. Admittedly, I'm lucky enough to have a seven-figure budget with my day job hat on, but I've done this for small charities. We've done this for like the IOF in the Northeast, other small groups. It's the same principles. It's just the difference is the scale that you can do it on. Yeah. And, and I, I guess if you struggle to have um, a robust and sensible approach to testing and being willing to fail, willing to take on a, some, some level of risk because you know, we're always going to take some activity and it might succeed, it might not. If, if it's hard to do that with a budget of £100, it's even harder to do it with, with a budget of a million pounds. So um, risk is risk, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's absolutely the same. And I would say that start with the lowest risk things. Like Facebook advertising, so many charities are doing. There's bound to be a similar charity you. I've done some work with local hospices. And they've very much been learning peer-to-peer about what's working in the northern hospice sector. And so therefore it's not a risk because in reality somebody's actually done it before and it's worked really well for them. I I think this interview might work best if if we pick channel by channel. And and I guess for many people, Facebook is a really viable option. Could we start there? So could you talk me through some of how you've applied that overarching philosophy in terms of Facebook? Well, we started with pilots. We did a little pilot with a digital value exchange, which is similar to what a lot of charities have done in terms of you give us the details and we ask for the opt-ins or completely GDPR compliantly and you get your cat booklet. And we started with that and that sort of longer model. We then tried, we've got a cat sponsorship product, so then tried it direct with that. And then lottery was the one that absolutely took off and we got about a thousand new players in the first week that we launched it. So that was the one that kind of really made everybody sit up and take notice. And then some of the regular giving campaigns, we were recruiting kind of donors that are worth £120 like year one for about £2.83 was the kind of best at the time. So the ROI on that is the reason why it wasn't seen as a big risk to massively scale it up from 10K spend to two and a half million pounds spend, because actually if it's a positive year one ROI, then it's relatively easy to do that. And like I say, that works on any budget. So then we kind of move from looking about that, great, how could we utilize Facebook for regular giving to think, right, how could we do it for legacy marketing? How could we do it for corporate? How could we do it for major donors? How can we do it with our great success with event fundraising? So it's looking that overarching think big, thinking of how could it transform every area? It's not digital sat over here and the rest of fundraising sat over the other side of the room. It's actually digital should be a part of every fundraising stream rather than something separate. 
And we then kind of grew and grew and grew and a lot of testing and learning along the way that at any one time we might have 500 different adverts live because we are constantly testing and learning. It might be tweaking a copy line, tweaking a creative, but it's that sort of data-driven approach is I think the reason we've had so much success that we've looked at the data, we've looked at the ROI, we've constantly pushed it we've not gone oh those results are amazing let's just keep doing that we've been like okay can we double this can we triple this can we times it by 100 and thinking about what effect that would have on the charity as a whole if we suddenly got all of these extra supporters and all of these extra potential supporters that are interested because they're seeing us through digital channels that the income has had a massive income impact and allowed the charity to do a lot more than it could otherwise and it's about looking at all these amazing people that want to help that the beauty of Facebook is people are talking about things that they love if you can inspire them to love your charity and more likely your cause and your charity is the vehicle for them to actually do what they want to do and support what they love so it's not a hard sell so there's several things I wanted to pick up on there but one of them is the notion of 500 tests at any one time to me feels so overwhelming i guess there's some listeners who are really used to working in in this way and testing is just a way of life and they wouldn't be overwhelmed by that but in layman's terms how how do you manage to keep track of so many things you're testing at the same time well i'm lucky that i've got agencies and people but i'll admit there's a lot of giant spreadsheets floating about there are an awful lot of spreadsheets in my life. I'd love to say there's some, some fancy digital tool, but it often comes down to spreadsheet and what we've tested. But I would say that I've done it before with small charities and be like, right, what five different copy are we going to have? And I would say, actually, don't just do a load of random tests because they're not meaningful. That you need to actually think, right, okay, this month we're going to all test copy lines and everybody doing Facebook advertising, or even if it's just you, you'd be like, right, that is the key thing. And I want to get some really concrete learnings in terms of, is it short and snappy? Is it longer ones that work? And then, okay, right, I can then use that and build on it the next month and say, right, next month, I'm going to look at creative. In our case, it might be color cats, because we know people respond differently to different color cats. Yes. So it's very much having that strategic approach. So I would say, like for smaller charities, just think, pick 12 things you're going to test over the next year. It might be really simple, let's say, subject lines, creative, audience testing. I mean, like, okay, I'm going to, like, target to a slightly different age range this month and see the impact of that. And that's then not overwhelming if you're thinking about that and then thinking by the end of the year, you will have learned 12 amazing things that will improve your conversion rates. Yeah, so that's so helpful. Uh, we don't have to do 500 and we yeah. can simplify it by just choosing one one thing at a time or one theme at a time and that's gonna be this month. And we've got one objective for how much uh, ROI or how much income this, this campaign might make, but just as valuable is the the learning, the treasure that we might have by the end of this month. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I think that, that helps me feel it's uh, that bit more manageable. Then I had um, another question to do with the way you appear not to be nearly as siloed as many organisations I know. 
and again your answers might, might be kind of just doing obvious things but actually making it work in practice but what have you learned about all the different departments of cats protection you know becoming better at digital rather than you doing some individual giving and then leaving the corporate team and the, the legacy team to, to, to do their own thing and not necessarily be as expert as, as, as they are if they work with you. I mean, practically speaking, have you learned some lessons about making that holistic approach? I think I've definitely learned some lessons because part of my role is to look at every area of fundraising. And even though you say we're a big charity, until kind of this time two years ago, I was still on my own. So I was the sole digital fundraising person. So therefore, when you talk about silos, it was pretty easy for me to go around all these managers and say, what are your priorities for this year? Yeah. How can we use digital to help you achieve them? And talk about that. It does get more challenging now I've got a team of six to action and other teams have also expanded to try and not make it siloed and actually make sure we are sharing the learnings from all the different campaigns and we know what all the priorities are. But it is a case of kind of every autumn sitting down with all the different fundraising teams saying, right, what are your overarching priorities and plans for next year? What plans have you got for digital? My team can then say, ooh, we're planning to develop this channel. Why don't you think about testing this and give them ideas of what would work? So is it largely your team are teaching and empowering or is it largely your team are doing that activity, that analysis of those tests on behalf of some of those other teams or is it a combination? It's both a combination. Certainly the remit of my team is they shouldn't always be doing the doing. They should be upskilling. So some of it's really practical, like, working with the corporate team who do small-scale Facebook advertising to actually enable them to do it themselves. So teaching them how you practically go about doing this and then my team can check. And my team are responsible for looking at the schedules and the targeting and from a support point of view, what they would get because we absolutely don't want every different team and every department going away doing their own digital without that overarching view. And my team do often share because they see that overview so they can share all the different tests and learnings going on across. But the idea is absolutely that we do the pilots, we do the proof of concept, and then we would hand over management. So originally Facebook, it all sat under me, sat under my budget, my management. Now all the different fundraising teams would have a digital advertising line in their budgets. So I still have a budget for some of the overall stuff and some of the infrastructure and some of the kind of lead generation and non-product kind of non-fundraising stream specific and overarching stuff, but they all have their own. So they all have their own plans for digital. And that is a massive culture shift over the kind of last few years that like I say, 2016 at the start of that year, there was no digital function at all. It was me as a regional fundraiser spending 20% of my time on digital. And that was the whole digital fundraising function at Cast Protection. So everybody thinks we're this absolutely massive team, whereas, like I say, until two years ago, it was me on my own. Mm. And so, for instance, if there are corporate fundraisers listening and, and they don't really use Facebook advertising at all or much could you either tell me one or two of the principles or tactics that your team are teaching 
you, your corporate people and or if you've just got a mini example of a, of a, a way they use it a, a particular you know way it, it's it's helped uh, corporate accounts protection grow something or win something to, to bring that to life practically yeah well, I think the corporate approach is slightly different than our kind of mass individual giving we want the general public yeah. so some of it really practically are things like Amazon Smile and the initiatives that they're pushing out as a corporate team that they can do and some of it's we've got big partnerships with the likes of Perina so it's working in partnership with our corporate to say how can we work together we did a joint campaign that unadoptables so that was working with a corporate partnership and saying, look, we've got this big engaged Facebook audience, you have. If we actually combine the two and do a joint campaign with joint aims, that's going to be more effective for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. And then in, in terms of the, the practicalities, for instance, in, in that one with, with, with that, that corporate partner, the corporate fundraiser who works at Cats Protection, they are, you know, what practically... And tactically, are they doing that is supporting the campaign? Well, a lot of it was for the unadopters one, we did the case studies. So Perina came in and they did the filming. So the content that they were pushing out on social was content they'd filmed and they'd got from Cats Protection. So that's the sort of thing that we can supply our expertise for. Yeah, excellent. And then, so clearly there's um, uh, Cats Welfare, uh, objective a campaigning objective there but also presumably this did help increase income because the partnership with Perina became more more valuable could you if you're aware of how 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 does the fundraising element of that work in terms of the partnership well I think some of the Facebook posts actually had a fundraising ask we did have specific landing page with this content because there was some amazing really cute little videos and little stories as you can imagine like say we do have some great cat stories and there were fundraising asks to that and we could just amplify the reach through using Perina as well. Fantastic. A key thing I've heard in in all of this bit of the conversation is that relentless expectation that more is possible to, to you know there is no perfect there's no there's never an end to this destination and I, I guess that comes right back from the beginning of the conversation you're talking about when you say think big but this endless curiosity and and you know, what else could we try? What else could we test? I mean, I don't think that comes naturally to lots of us. Um, I don't know if it comes naturally to you or if you've had to work at it. I, I guess more in terms of internally, is it ever a struggle to stop people being satisfied that we're there yet? <laughs> well, aren't you satisfied yet? Have we got to test it again? I mean, could you help us understand how, how you've helped instill this level of ambition? Well, I think it kind of helps that the team I now manage, I've kind of handpicked and been lucky enough that I've got them from scratch and instilled that from the start, that that is the belief of our team. There is no limit. We think big. We do have to think practically in terms of what we prioritise and what we do. But last year, we had 128 different projects or campaigns in my team planning. So they are used to that. I get that it might be scary to look from the outside and think that's a level of ambition. And I'll be honest, we've not really encountered that culture in other departments and other teams. Definitely encountered the, I don't really understand what this thing is that you're doing, culture. And particularly at the start, it was a bit of a hard sell in terms of, okay, I know you've done this for years and years this way, but let's try and bring some digital in. Let's see how we can change it. 
and it was kind of working team by team and department by department that when some of the teams saw the results the other teams were getting all of a sudden it wasn't like oh Emily like stop bothering us constantly getting us to do more digital be like oh can we have a chat about this can we have another chat and that's when I got a team because it just bloomed and I mean I'll admit and my agencies will tell you that I am the nightmare client that is never ever satisfied that is constantly going like yeah that seems like an amazing result but and it's constantly that but but I think that's why we've got such good results because I can go up the chain to trustees and say, look, we are getting these results. We want to do even more. Can we have a multi-million pound investment in this? And they say yes. And we do sometimes get it back down from trustees being like, yeah, that all sounds great, but can we do even better? And it's almost like an education piece that I need to do internally to be like, yeah, we're already doing like really, really well at this. Like a lot of people are like, oh, but we could be doing more, right? And I'll be honest that I personally rarely take the time to step back and think, oh, we did actually do really well last year. Like, that there are times, like in 2018, the target was originally like 2,500 new regular givers and we hit 25,000. So there are times like that when you think, be like, okay, slightly above target there. Like, Shabby, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Part of what enables really good fundraisers that I've interviewed over the years to sometimes be a bit difficult rather than just keep social harmony at all times <laughs> it's not that they in and of themselves are awkward it, it's they've just got this notion of what that next cat that might be suffering yeah. they don't have the luxury of choosing to be nice or not they they need us to endlessly you know it's, it's it, inevitably in fundraising often our, our best behaviors and drive comes not because we're doing it for ourselves or our you know you know we it would be nice to get a better result. It's because of what is at stake if we could find even the next level. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely that. And I think something that I have learned over the last couple of years is the kind of supporting departments like your IT and your HR and your finance that sometimes this level of growth is quite difficult for them because I've had the investment and I've got a team and we've got all this extra activity, but that does create a lot of work for other departments. And so I think that's something to consider when growing this quickly to look at, okay, it's not digital's not an island. It just look at the whole organization. And that's definitely something that I've learned. And like I say, that I probably am the difficult one, but it's definitely looking at the end of the day, we want to raise more money for cats that we're opening a new center in March because we've got extra income. So we can do things like that. So that's kind of very much linking it back to the cause and what extra could you do with this extra money? Yeah. Any last tip? Because you, some of the listeners, it's not necessarily the digital theme that's catching their interest, but it's the good problems that you get when you're growing so quickly. Now, um, they're better to have the, the problems of growing quickly than other problems, than most other problems, but they are still problems to solve. And you, you, just what you said there means I, I, I feel moved to ask you, is there anything else you've learned, any other top tip that can help us mitigate some challenges that come with quick growth? To do with politics, to do with people overworking, to do with, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, I think I've definitely got a lot better at talking to other departments way in advance because digital does move very quickly. There's often new opportunities and my natural instinct would be like, yep, that sounds like great. Let's go do that next week. Whereas other departments are like, whoa, no, like we need time, we need planning. So partly it is me not slowing down, 
I wouldn't say because I would be strongly against we should be doing that because it's going so well but also considering more the implications at the start. So it might be giving other departments a heads up that, okay, right, quarter three this year, probably going to be launching a new initiative. Therefore, can you set aside some of your time to look at this? And I think the difficulty in digital is that three, five-year planning doesn't mean that much. Like I say, if you think three years ago, we were like raising 250K, had one person, that's completely different to now. So it's trying to get the rest of the organization, and that would be a top tip, to be comfortable with not knowing exactly what the thing you'd be doing was going to be. So like, I'll admit, my quarter four plans for this year are largely new digital things to be confirmed. So I then need to get everybody comfortable with not knowing exactly what my team's going to be doing and also carving out some of their time because even if I don't know what I'm going to be doing, I'm definitely going to need finance to set up some sort of new payment mechanism and I'm going to need IT to do some sort of infrastructure project. So it's making sure that all the other departments are aware that this isn't a one-off, ooh, there's this extra digital project that's coming. This is now business as usual. Mm, yeah that makes sense so um in a moment i'd love to quite deliberately look at a different channel for instance email but just yeah. before we move on from this chunk which started out as being mostly about facebook um if the listeners are looking for one practical thing particular tactic or principle that you haven't necessarily explained yet that, that you know, for, for most people, even in small organisations, they could quite deliberately go and apply. What's a last thought you've got that might help us with Facebook? I think don't be as scared of getting absolutely amazing content. But my top tip would just be, right, go tomorrow with a smartphone, record something about your organisation, put it online. And I'd say start with organic stuff. Don't do a paid investment. Look at all of your organic posts, go into the analytics, what is performing best? That's the sort of thing you should be putting the paid investment in. Right. Fantastic. Uh, we need to bring it to a close. If people, I know quite a few people in the Northeast already know you because you, you spend a lot of time uh, getting out and about and, and helping in, in various ways. But if the, any of the listeners to the podcast wanted to, to send you some feedback or to um, tweet about this or, or, or get in touch and ask a follow-up question, um, if you're on Twitter, what's your Twitter name or should they go via LinkedIn? What's the best place people could reach you or send feedback? Twitter, I'm simply at Emily Casson. So I am pretty easy to find and I'm also active on LinkedIn. I mean, not surprisingly, working in digital marketing, I am pretty easy to find online, but I'm always open to tweets and LinkedIn messages. And I love hearing feedback and I love hearing people like, that listen to things that I've done like six months down the line and what they've done differently and do like, I love hearing other people's results that if they've implemented any of this, what has changed as a result. Mm, great. So, so um, yes, if, if uh, someone's listening and they've, I mean, you've covered so many great ideas and, and principles there, but a, a, if they listen, if they found it helpful, uh, we'd love to hear from you and, and be in due course once you've implemented any of these ideas again, um, that would be a fantastic thing if you could um, let Emily or I know, or both of us. But for now, Emily Casson, thank you ever so much for appearing on the podcast. No, well, thanks for having me on, and I hope it was useful for everybody. Yes, it really was. Thanks, Emily. Bye-bye. Thanks, bye. 
So that's the first half of my interview with Emily. I hope you enjoyed it. I've written a summary of the key ideas to take away in the episode notes in the blog and podcast section of our Bright Spot fundraising website. If you want to get in touch on social media, we'd love to hear from you. Emily's Twitter name is at Emily Casson and mine is at Woods underscore Rob. And we're both on LinkedIn if you prefer that. Since starting this podcast, it's been so encouraging to hear all your comments and feedback and I try to respond to every single post. The other thing to mention is that this was just the first half of my conversation with Emily. And in order to keep each episode to a manageable length, I'm going to share the second half next time in episode 16. There are more excellent practical tips in that one, in particular concerning things you can do to improve the success of your fundraising through email and through your website, as well as more wise advice about achieving a culture where all fundraising teams are ambitiously pulling together towards a common goal. So, if you enjoyed the episode, remember to hit subscribe now so that you don't miss out on future episodes, including the next one with Emily. Finally, thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate the effort it takes to keep on honing your skills and to keep your inspiration levels topped up. Until the next time, best of luck with your fundraising.